Have you hugged a ripen? Wagered a podcast bet? Toasted to friends at Clover Pine? Prove it all to your friends with Crossword merch available now in the gift shop. T-shirts, hats, mugs, stickers, and a whole lot more. Your purchase supports the show and keeps us running. Go to GhostbustersHQ/shop to get yours today. I like that shirt, friend. Fans of creature design and prosthetic makeup, oh, buckle up. We got a fun one for you this week. This week on the show, we have Aryan Tutin, uh, the creature designer, prosthetic makeup, special effects makeup uh, person behind Ghostbusters Afterlife. Uh, this is your one and only spoiler warning because we're just going to talk about every amazing creature and thing that you saw in the film. Uh, Aryan is amazing. He's studied under some of the masters. Uh, you got to listen to this. Stay tuned. Still Playing With Toys presents The Ghostbusters Interdimensional Crossroad, the biggest podcast since 1909. So free. News, interviews, and commentary on everything Ghostbusters. Are you the key Here are your hosts, Troy Benjamin and Chris Stewart. You know, it's just occurred to me we really haven't had a completely successful test of this equipment. Oh, we have fun. Woo! All right. I have been looking forward to this for years literally years because we haven't spoken since you went to calgary uh and it's it seems like it's been a, a lifetime ago but uh, our guest here on the podcast today is is arian tutin uh, extremely talented painter sculptor um I, you've worked with stan winston you've worked with rick baker uh, dick smith um you have designed he- hellboys terminators zombies <laughs> like the whole nine <laughs> Um, and uh, you turned Angelina Jolie into Maleficent. Um, but most importantly, you created the creatures for Ghostbusters Afterlife, practical creatures for Ghostbusters Afterlife, which is so much fun to say. Um, but first of all, <laughs> thanks thanks for doing this, Arian. I know you're it's a day off for you. You're uh, deep in production on your next project, and uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm very honored to be here. So let's just start. How did you get into to prosthetics and makeup and creatures and... Um, oh gosh, that started a long time ago when I was a kid. Uh, and in most cases, with any effects makeup artist, you'll find that it started in their childhood. And uh, with me, that's no different. Uh, just being kind of an outcast, you know, to the rest of this class and, and just being uh, kind of living in my own little world, really, and being fascinated with anything uh, film and, and horror and prosthetics. And uh, it grew very early on. I think I was nine when I knew. And, uh, um, being an 80s kid, obviously, that decade influenced me heavily, you know, looking back, uh, films like Ghostbusters and, yeah. and Goonies and, and Poltergeist and you name it. So that obviously is a very heavy influence on me. So um, I love that aesthetic. So it, it all came from that time, really. It started very young. Yeah. So so knowing that Ghostbusters and, and those the creature designs that we all grew up with in the 80s uh, are so heavily imprinted in your brain and maybe have in- inspired you to to do your art and to create your creatures. Uh, I mean, how do you get involved in Ghostbusters Afterlife? I mean, what, first of all, what is the first conversation that you have with the team? But also, what's your reaction to that? Oh, a new Ghostbusters film? Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because I actually met with the, the team of the 2016 film as well. Uh, I got oh, really? a call from the Reitman office at the time, yes, and I remember meeting with Paul and everybody there, and uh, I ended up not doing the show, 
uh, and then skipping to, I believe it was early 2019, January or something. Uh, and I heard about that Jason was doing a new one and, um, I knew somebody that knew him and, um, we set up a meeting. Uh, I went to Sony and met with Jason. Um, and within the first 10 minutes, it, we just instantly hit it off. Um, he's only like two or three years older than I am. Yeah. I guess we're kind of the same age range. Uh, and uh, he knew exactly what I was talking about and, and the other way around. And I, I think uh, a week later, he came by my shop just to kind of check the place out. And uh, we talked about some ideas. Uh, and um, uh, it just went very fast from that. Uh, I think two weeks later, I got the call and and. Uh, I got Ghostbusters Afterlife, so I mean that was that was it. And, and so I'm sh- I'm sure that first conversation that you had with him, that's when he said, "I want to use the techniques that they used in '84. I want to make as much practically so we can shoot it in camera." Uh, I mean th- yes. that to you has to be a dream, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I knew when he was going to. I looking at his stuff, and I've seen his films. Obviously, I was I'm familiar with his his movies, and uh, but seeing his little teaser of of the actual lettering uh, and the logo coming in that he shot that practically with the backlight and the and the smoke. I knew he was uh, going to do this at least uh, to a lot of levels. Do this right, and and uh, I could just you could just tell. Um, and, uh, I was just excited and, um, you know, he understood more than anybody, I think, uh, the aesthetic of the first one and coming from a practical puppet and makeup effects side, I immediately got that of course. So, um, yeah, we just instantly hit it off as I said. Yeah. Um, yeah. It seemed like he, he had studied, I mean, how, how the creatures were made, uh, the, the lenses and at what focal distances they were shooting things. I mean, just reverse engineering, even talking to the filmmakers themselves, you know, having Richard Edlund and John Bruno and, Uh and, uh, uh, John DeCure Jr. on speed dial to just ask them (laughs) questions. Um, so, so one of the, the, the biggest projects that you had to do was the terror dog, the, the physical uh-huh. terror dog. Mm-hmm. Um, what were some of the first steps in that process? I mean, what, what did you have in terms of reference material that you could be working with? Well, it's funny because I, I was never asked to do the terror dogs in the beginning. It was only ever the makeup side of things and maybe oh, some puppets and arms. And, and, and uh, again, they after I got the show, they called two weeks later again. They said, you know, would you be willing to do the terror dogs as well? We can't I'm like, I'm like, of course, of course. <laughs> so um, just play it cool. Yeah. Ryan. Just to, oh, maybe I'll think about it. Can I have the night? I'll think to, about yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and, um, well, being a fan of the first one, obviously I really just went back to, to as much as I could find of what Randy Cook had done. And, uh, I always loved that design. And, um, uh, Sony actually gave me, uh, access to some of the never before seen stills from that time. And, um, um, I mean, there's, there's quite a bit of reference of, of the actual sculpture. So, um, for us, it was more the excitement. Um, at one point they were talking about, you know, just changing him in design. Uh, they were, they came by my shop, I remember. And, uh, which is a very common thing with films, unfortunately, 
uh, especially follow-ups and sequels where they have to change things. And I felt strongly that that was a mistake. And, yeah. um, um, and I just put my foot down and uh, I'm like, we're, we cannot change the terror dog. It's an iconic character. It would be the same as ET coming back with ears or, you mean, uh, <laughs> Oh, can you imagine? I, oh my yeah, God. <laughs> it's just, and I get it because they're all artists and I'm one. So I understand it, but I also know as a Ghostbusters fans first, uh, to not mess with that one. And, um, uh, Jason has later thanked me uh, several times. Yeah. For that. That's, I'm, I'm glad you stood your ground. Yeah, that's it. because it's when you're watching the film on screen, it's it is as if they took that puppet and the, the Phil Tippett miniature stop motion mm-hmm. and put it into this. I mean, it's it's a one to one recreation and it and it looks and it it feels perfect. Well, um, thank you. But if, if there were things that were changed that you were kind of bumping on, I think that that would take people out of it. Yeah. Yeah, it was a uh, yeah. So we mainly updated a few little things, and uh, for today's camera standards, and um, that was it really. Uh, probably the animatronics within are a little bit more refined. So, so did you start with? Because again, you're such an amazing sculptor. I see your stuff on Instagram, mm-hmm. and I'm just blown away, especially you know facial uh, like yeah. life captures, <clears throat> but. Did you start with a scale uh, miniature that you did, or did yeah. did you start with the one to one? Because that was the most impressive. Was that insanely <laughs> giant life size terror dog that you walk in your shop and see? Yeah, no, we started with a maquette actually, and it was sculpted by Steve Koch, a very talented sculptor, and we followed uh, everything that's uh, uh, again the reference that, of Randy Cook. And um, once we had that done and it was approved. Um, we and nowadays we could probably scan it and uh, mill one out in foam uh, as the process is a lot faster and very accurate. Sure. But I felt also for my crew, uh, this was such a special moment. And to capture that handcrafted feel within the creatures, um, I felt let's just let's just hand sculpt it. In other words, we'll photograph the maquette, we'll project it on the wall two to fourth times the size and we'll make an armature and we'll get 600 pounds of wet clay and we're actually going to sculpt it like they did back then wow. and, uh, and we did and we had the best two weeks just sculpting that uh, and I told the crew you know this is including everything else all the other stuff this is going to be a summer you're going to remember and um, and it was it was just going to be something special we all knew and we just wanted to get it right how, how big was your team how, who were the people that were on your team that were working there uh, uh, the, the big sculpture was led by uh, Norman Cabrera, very talented creature effects artist, and uh, Tanner White and Danny Wagner all sculpted on that, uh, Brian Ray, and um, I kind of let them spearhead that, and then, uh, because I had I had 44 people in total, um, including makeup artists and big makers wow. and, and, and mold make. I mean, it's a lot of people, you know, uh, not all at the same time, they came through in sections, and uh, so I had a lot on my plate as much as I want to be involved. And I was, um, you know, but I had great people on certain things. So, yeah, that's, I would encourage everybody out there. Um, don't do this. If you're driving, pull over first, but go back and listen to the names that Arian just said and look at their (laughs) credits because it's in, they've worked on every creature that you love. I mean, Norman's worked on, I don't even want to go because his IMDb is like a laundry list. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So yeah, Yeah. you, you had the, the pros, uh, the, the best of the best working on this Mm -hmm. project. Um, So, so you mentioned you had to change a few things for modern cameras. Um, I would imagine 
you're you're working on on this one to one sculpture, one to one, just it's there, and then you're gonna have to pour uh, molds and pull the molds and mm -hmm. and create the foam foam, foam latex uh, version mm -hmm. of it. At what point does Jason or or Eric Steelberg or somebody say, hey, you know, Arian, we're gonna shoot this in a, a Walmart that has the most unforgiving fluorescent lights humanly possible, right? Does that change your process? Because you're you're probably making all of these these nuanced details in the sculpture, knowing mm -hmm. that it's going to be in like a cool, dark, spooky sure, lit, sure. and then all, sure. all of a sudden you're going to be in this flat lit Walmart. What yeah, what, yeah. what does that change too? Um, well, not a whole lot. In other words, I had seen the storyboards and I knew we were going to be in a in a in a grocery store, uh, so we were prepared for that. But I think nowadays we're so trained to do that anyway because we know not everything is being told to us uh, in, in pre-production so we're kind of prepared to do to do that but it's uh we just wanted to keep the design the same but update it in detail uh including the eyes and uh the inner mouth work the teeth uh even the horns you know they're uh for example slushed in a certain uh, three different urethanes just so it would catch the light a certain way so there's a wow. certain translucency in it um so it doesn't look fake um you know there's a lot of work that goes into it but um yeah and then the paint job obviously which is very if you see the original one uh, you only ever see him in the dark uh and that was different in this one um especially in the walmart so uh but we kept the colors the same as he was in 1984 however people might remember him darker but in yeah. reality, the paint job was actually um, uh, like a dark brown with a gray on top. Um, and uh, but through the process of film, even back then, you know, some of that, of course, becomes darker. Uh, sure. So that's different now, you know, with all the digital cameras. So we had to kind of find the right balance for that. That was I, the coolest part for me seeing that was being able to see that detail. You've got this amazingly detailed uh, a puppet on set and yeah the the coloration that was kind of like a brownish hue mm -hmm. that makes sense if you're watching this uh 1984 in the dark and they're up on the 55 yeah. central park west uh tower of course it's going to read more sort of like gray purplish but right. then as soon as you pour some light on it you see what the actual color of the terror dog is yeah yeah uh, and again we having gotten some of the stills um from the vault from sony uh it clearly is a dark brown and i later checked this with randy cook who came by my shop not that long ago uh and he's like yeah this 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 was the color wow um so that was good i was happy to hear that are you so so are you using formulas for the for the foam rubber that were used in the 80s or are you using a, a newer uh, a material to create the actual skin and everything of, of the puppet itself uh, no we just uh, used um, foam latex really um, I didn't have an oven the size for the body so it was ran by Bill <laughs> Fesh who was one of the best foam runners in the business and uh, they were excited of course and then uh, we did run the, the heads the feet the inner mouths and all the other foam stuff including the minor ghost uh, at my shop and um, but it was yeah foam latex this is also because of um, it's still one of the best skins for animatronics um, and it's light uh, because the terror dog itself weighed close to 450 to 500 pounds already wow so if you can imagine if you would um, uh, put the skin around it and it's a solid silicone it would weigh double that 
And since we had to move it around on set on a quite a fast pace, um, it, it, you know, uh, it, foam latex was just the answer. On top of that, it just looks 80s. It may sound strange, but I, I felt it was important to capture that texture. And yeah. uh, foam latex just does that. And, uh, you know, so that was another reason. So if it weighs that much and you're having to move mm -hmm. it around set uh, mm -hmm. to, to get into position for the cameras and yeah. the blocking and whatever, how is it then puppeteered? Because I remember on the original film, it was like a raised platform and you had the puppeteers underneath, right? Did you have to do yeah, that on this some, show? Yeah. Uh, the mechanics were designed by Bill Sturgeon, who actually worked on the first one at Boss Films. Uh, he was, I think, 21, 22. Wow. And um, he actually um, designed the mechanics for this one. And, uh, but it was all steel and laser cut and milled out. And, um, the, it was, it, we had a wheel rig underneath that we could lift them up on. And, uh, it took about seven puppeteers to bring them to life. Um, but you run nowadays, not everything is, uh, they're not expecting certain weight issues and stuff. So when we arrived on the first temple set, um, it was beautifully done, uh, but I remember the temple was made out of like a certain foam type with structures of wood, and it it wasn't strong enough to hold <laughs> the terror dog, and nobody had thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> so it was it wasn't reinforced overnight. So it's just a whole operation, you know. Uh, uh, and and we ran into I think it was even a special meeting uh, that everybody had. Uh, it's like no, we're really going back to this type of filmmaking. In other words, we we we've kind of forgotten what that's like to all meet. And, and talk about, well, if the terror dog is this heavy, the set needs to be this strong. And it sure. all connects. It's all, you know, because films are just not done like this anymore, unfortunately. And uh, so you could really tell, like, everybody had to kind of look, all right, like, we got to work together on this, you know? Like, <laughs> well, yeah, they're probably know? not expecting the, the 700, 800 pound terror dog having to come on. That's right. That's right. So it was just digging, the weight of it was digging into the set. Um, so, uh, that all wow. had to be, but it was, uh, it, you know, it all got worked out. What did you do in terms of the animatronics for the, the facial mm -hmm. movements and, and the, the mouth snarling, uh, the lip curl, like all of these things mm -hmm. that, uh, what was the complexity of that animatronic that was in there? Uh, the head was, uh, operated by servos, but I think there was, uh, 21 servos in there, uh, motors. And then there was some cable controlled, uh, like a jaw and, uh, and actually the lip snarl is actually cable controlled, uh, device. Um, but everything moves from the nose to the eyelids, to the brows in and out, up and down, uh, to the actual front snarl, uh, to the lips. Those are by servos, done by servos. And, uh, um, yeah, I mean it's it's a complex thing, but very much similar to the first one, but more refined. Yeah, yeah. It's the I mean the expressions are are identical. Again, it's like the snarl and the growl and everything. It's what you remember from Lewis's apartment, but <laughs> but again, it's just that little nuance. There's just that extra little level of detail that you added to it. It's yes, yeah, and beautiful. I think I felt we needed that just just to not make it uh, comical, because you have to nowadays you have to be careful with that. Yeah. You don't uh, so, want it to feel too Muppety, right? Muppety, that, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Um, so it needed to be a good combo. Wow. But, so you mentioned, uh, doing an armature. Did you end up doing like a stop motion capture, uh, scale like maquette or something that the visual <laughs> effects team ended up using? Uh, no, so Jason was adamant that the visual effects team, who were amazing, by the way, uh, followed 
the design or sculpture that we had done. So they scanned our maquette, but also the big full-size terror dog and used it for their model. So not the other way around. Got so it, it was, it, it had that handcrafted sculptural feel to it. Um, and uh, we did actually mold the maquette um, in such a way that, because there was talk at some point, well, maybe we can do this as a stop motion, you know, yeah. where it's running up the stairs at the temple and um, uh, uh, like Paul Rudd is changing into the terror dog. Uh, we do that as a stop motion thing, but I think we just simply ran out of time. I mean, it's a lot for Jason to carry all this other stuff yeah. and it just, you know, it takes months and we started like three months or four months before you know, rather than 10. You know? Wow. <laughs> Again, films just aren't done like this anymore, yeah. you know, so uh, I think we just ran out of time. But it, I mean, the, the end effect, I mean, hat tip to the visual effects team, because they ended up making it look like that Phil Tippett stop motion, motion go, like oh. the, the movement, the, the movement of the legs and, and the way he turns corners and it, it yes. all felt like it had been done stop motion. Yeah, they, they were amazing to work with. And uh, they also understood that this was not a visual effects film. This was, although there's a lot in it, um, it's just beautifully done. And uh, my hat's off to them as well. They were great yeah. to work with. Yeah. Um, well, I know, I mean, the Terror Dog was just one tiny piece mm -hmm. uh, that you did. Uh, there is one thing, and it's kind of tough to to talk about this now because it was always so hush hush secretive. And I, I even in sure. my questions wrote old farmer because it's just habit. Um, sure. Sure. Uh, but that big reveal spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen mm -hmm. it. I don't know why you haven't seen the film yet. If you're listening to this, hopefully you've seen yeah, it. What are you waiting for? <laughs> um, but, uh, but so at the end of the film and at the very beginning of the film, we do see Egon Spangler, uh, mm -hmm. uh recreated on celluloid. Um, and one of the things that really struck me uh, were these amazing concept paintings that uh, that you had done, right? Those were your paintings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, how how did that come? To, did you did you guys talk about doing a prosthetic? Did you talk about all the different types of ways to recreate Harold Ramis on on film? Uh, well, the idea was ever from the beginning, uh, Jason is somebody that knows exactly what he wants when it comes to the storyboards uh, and. Um, um, from very early on, we wanted to recreate him, but not show him in full light because no matter how good the makeup is, uh, or the visual effects, it's not Harold. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and we weren't out to do that. We were, we just wanted to create an essence to tell the story. And, um, there was a stunt makeup on a, I forgot his name, but Greg Slosher, I believe. Uh, and, um, so we did a stunt makeup, uh, which you see um, uh, the actor wearing in the truck driving. And it's only ever going to be seen as the silhouette, the hair, and, sure. and, uh, and the nose, and the, the reflection of the glasses. And uh, um, it was sculpted by Mitch Devane. And, um, and then I did some concepts. Uh, Jason asked me to do some concepts of what would Egon look like now. And... Um, I did a few actually, uh, where he had a bigger beard, smaller beard, different hair, where he's a little bit more slim. Um, and uh, I remember the day Violet Ramis coming by the shop just to take a look at things. And um, I don't know if you were there or not. I was, I, and you and were, I was, okay. yeah. I wanted to lead you toward that because it is still one of the most poignant moments that I've ever captured behind the scenes because you had done these amazing paintings of, of Harold and extrapolated what he could have looked mm -hmm. like in, in 2019 mm -hmm. at that point. 
Um, and I just remember her look, st- standing because you had them mounted on a wall and she was standing mm-hmm. there and just like in silence kind of contemplating and looking. And Yes. Yeah, she got a little emotional and for, for obvious reasons. Uh, so, yeah, I just wanted to make sure that that was correct and where they felt good about it, too. Um, um, yeah. Um, and I think that's actually the concept that visual effects later uh, used uh, for their um, illusion uh, at the end. I mean, um, Jason kept on going back to that one concept. Yeah. Uh, I remember talking to Alessandro, the visual effects uh producer and uh, supervisor on that um, so yeah he's like yeah he, that, that's the design that's we keep going back to that did you ever do a, a, a face sculpt or something for the for the VFX team uh, to we scan? Did, uh, they, uh, did they actually take one they might have I don't remember now if they took a head or not um, we did do the sculpture on uh, an Egon sculpture and um, as I said it was more for stunts yeah um, and then we supposed to do a hero makeup uh, again, not to replicate uh, uh, Harold, but more to help tell the story and to help visual effects in that scene. Uh, but it was we just simply ran out of time, so that yeah. didn't happen. But visual effects is a great job with that. I thought. Yeah, it's. I mean, that that's why I was so because the the, the deep fake technology I know gets you so far, but you're also aging him up, and you need to make him look as if he would have appeared. Um, yes. So it. It works. It works so well. And it doesn't, because it's such an emotional sequence, if yeah. there was just even the slightest bit of uncanny valley or something in there that you bumped on, it would pull you out of the emotional uh, weight of the scene. And it, and it doesn't. It's just, just it's, it's flawless. So uh, hat, hat tip to you and, and everybody that worked on it because it's, uh, yeah. it's amazing. Everybody cries every Thank time you. they watch it. Every single time, <laughs> I, I, I teared up reading the scripts. So I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, the other thing that you worked on was the minor ghost, um, yes. which I mean, I, I can imagine Steve Johnson coming up with something just like this too, where it's the full the puppeteer and it's got the kind of decaying corpse look and. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. At what point did you start designing this this creature, and and how did it evolve over the time that you were working on it in, in pre production? Um, I already got the show. We were already starting on the terror dog and other uh, stuff, and uh, I remember the moment in the shop where I was like, you know, I kind of after having read the script, it kind of dawned on me that I'm I was kind of missing a human form or a skeleton like ghost uh, that was equally as cool or kind of like a shout out to, um, to the cabbie driver yeah. in 1984. And I emailed Jay, I think I called him or something. We were on the phone about something else. And I said, you know, like I kind of miss a skeleton like that. And he's like, you're absolutely right. We, we need to, we need to find a spot somewhere. Um, and, uh, he's like, what can you do? I'm like, well, let me see what I have laying around <laughs> and you know, <laughs> uh, we'll just build something. Um, and we didn't know where he was going to appear. At some point, he was going to be in the school bus, school bus driver. And uh, at some point, he was on the phone with the kids. Like, he panned back to the other side of the line, and he <laughs> hangs up the phone. The kids don't realize they talk to a ghost. Oh, what a uh, gag. That a bunch of funny. ideas. Yeah, yeah, there was a bunch of ideas coming around. And, uh, and eventually, Jason emailed me. He's like, I got it. He's at Spinner's Diners. He's at the Roller Hop. And uh, I'm like, perfect. So he's at the counter. He's like, yeah, he's drinking coffee. 
And, uh, and he has a miner outfit because he, I figured it out. He's one of Evo Shandor's miners. I'm like, oh, uh, perfect. It's meant yeah. to be. I'm like, that's exactly what it needs to be. And Danny Glicker did an amazing, uh, uh costume outfit for him. Um, and, uh, there he was, he was an old miner. Yeah. And he is actually, this is a fun little fact probably for any fans who are out there who might know that, um, the first ghost that ever shot for the 1984 film was the cabbie driver. And coincidentally, uh, the minor ghost was the very first ghost, practical ghost we showed up with on set. Oh, you're kidding. So, yeah. So, uh, coincidentally, that's a nice little tie in. Wow. What a wonderful symmetry. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I didn't realize it as I, I think I was on set that day. I was like, wait, we are shooting the first practical and this is it. This is, it's similar to 84 where, He's the first guy up. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I, rem- I think if I remember right, Steve Johnson says that was his audition for Ghostbusters. Is they said you right. have a week to put together something for this taxi sequence, <laughs> and he yeah, just really right. quick did it. And yeah, yeah. Um, so what, what complexity of puppeteering on that one? Uh, because you've got the arm movement and the hand mm-hmm. movement and mm-hmm. the the faces moving. Um, yeah. What, how, what did it take to bring that one to life? Um, I kind of really went back to uh, how Steve built his, really. And uh, again, also just to capture that aesthetic. You can do a most beautiful sculpture, but just not going to look the same. So I basically took an old skeleton that I had laying around, and I mechanized him. Uh, Tanner White, one of my guys, mechanized the hands. Uh, and uh, I think Bill Sturgeon did the, the eyes. And um, I built them out of just pieces of old foam latex that were left over from the tear dog, like little skins and stuff and, yeah. uh, sculpted a face for him. Uh, and, uh, it took three puppeteers, um, on set. He has no legs. So he's sitting on the bar stool at the, at the counter. And, um, I was underneath the counter with, uh, another master puppeteer, actually, uh, Ron Binion, uh, and, um, Richard Landon puppeteered the eyes off camera. And then his facial expressions from the brows to the mouth to the jaw, even though you don't see him opening up, uh, are all cable control, which I was doing underneath the counter. And then Ron was doing the arms and the hands. Um, he has neck movements going up and down and sideways, obviously. Um, and it was, it was all wired too, wasn't it? It, it yes, wasn't like you were on an RC unit. It was all the... That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The eyes were RC. Richard Landon puppeteered those from, through RC, but the rest was all cable control and wires. Yeah. Um, because I figured if it was, if it breaks, I can fix it. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Uh, and uh, it didn't need to be more than that to tell the story and to create the effect. Um, uh, we did recognize both arms and hands and wrists. And I'm so glad I did because I remember rehearsing. It was always, always going to be the left arm grabbing the coffee. But then the morning of while we're rehearsing, uh, Jason switched from the left arm to the right arm. <laughs> Director's and, prerogative, uh, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> we had to move that around real quick. But uh, that was it, really. We shot one day with him, and he was wrapped. Yeah. That's so cool. Um, well, I do uh, – I want to be mindful of time. I don't want to keep you much longer, but there's uh, two two or three more things I wanted to talk to you about. Sure. Um, uh, Evo Shandor, uh, last mm-hmm. – when I, I literally remember the last time I saw and talked to you, you were going to go do a life – cast of of jk okay. simmons or he was coming mm-hmm. to you i want to mm-hmm. say to, to yeah. come into his life cast 
uh, tell me about that uh, because it, it seemed like it was just going to be prosthetic makeup and then it seems like it turned into something completely different, right? Yeah. Uh, well, Jason did ask me to design, to design his makeup. Uh, we actually never talked about prosthetics on that. It was more like what would he look like? And um, I basically looked at hairstyles of that era. I did one concept design, only one, and he immediately signed off on it. That was wow. it. There was no back and forth. There was no... You're just that uh, because, good. That's, I mean, <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that. It's just I think we're just out of time. <laughs> you know? But uh, yeah, Jason just trusted me. And um, uh, I gave him the little beard. And uh, I think I looked at Charles Dickens and stuff, anything from that time. And um, uh, what they were asking me about was a, actually a, a replica dummy of J.K. Simmons that lays in the coffin. Um, because J.K. himself only filmed for maybe a day, day and a half or two days, mm. uh, but they needed the body in the coffin a lot longer. I think we shot about 10 days with that in that, sure. in that mine. And, uh, of course, he's not going to lay in that coffin <laughs> I mean, for 10 days. So maybe he needs a break. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, J.K. is yeah, a busy guy. So, <laughs> that's right. Um, now, we created a, a dummy likeness of him, and, uh, and we also uh, used it for the splitting body. Uh, remember the scene where, can I say the word? Yes. I, this Gozer. is all we've, we've spoiler okay. alerted everything. Okay. Yes. I hope you people have seen the movie before listening to this. Yeah. Uh, Gozer uh, grabs him by the face or head and splits him in half. That's actually a practical rig we built of JK. We built an upper body that splits in half. It was beautifully designed by Brian Ray and, uh, we goot it up. It was only ever going to be seen of a silhouette and with some slime on the inside. And, uh, we shot it, uh, I believe like twice. I was going to say, how do you reset that? If it if it tears and it's got all the goo and stuff, is, mm -hmm. is it a fast reset or is it something it's where it's like, well, give me reset. another day and I'll put it back together for you? No, no. It literally took like four minutes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a very seamless puppet almost, you know, that splits from the top open. Um, and uh, we just reset the slime on the inside. And uh, and that was it. And it would reveal Gozer's face, hmm. right? So, uh, yeah. That was sort of it. like the the library ghost from the original film. You pull the rod and it transforms yeah, and it just yeah. goes back. And here you go. That's Let's right. do it again. That's right. That's right. So that's another thing we did. And uh, straight makeup. Actually, I handed uh, the makeup off to um, or the wig pieces. The straight makeup did a beautiful job applying uh, because I was too busy on Gozer and the Terror Dog and everything else happening at once. So. Yeah. So, so what did you have to do for Gozer? Um, I, I, that's, that's a makeup application. Mm -hmm. Was, mm -hmm. was this a full body thing or what? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it turned into Gozer was one of the hardest things of this show, actually. Um, even though that was one of the main things Jason asked me about, uh, it took a while to find, uh, the actress who was going to play her. And, um, um, the actual makeup took about five and a half hours to six hours Wow! Uh, each day, which a lot of people don't probably don't realize, but, um, it's a very complicated and complex thing that goes together. You I mean, it's just a lot of from beauty makeup to hair work, to wigs, to nails and to contact lenses. I mean, it just goes on and on. So, sure. um, yeah, uh, it was played by Olivia Wilde and, uh, we had a hard time with her mainly because, uh, not to her, her fault, but she just wasn't available for any testing. Uh, uh, normally with a creature makeup like that, you're, you're looking at at least two full makeup tests, if not more, at a shop just to kind of figure her out what fits, what doesn't, what's the color, what's the lighting going to be. I mean, does her hair fit? I mean, it's a lot of work, and we never got that. Uh, we had to figure her out basically the morning of, and that was wow. extremely hard. Yeah. 
Um, looking back, I mean, of course, there's things that I wanted to change and, and tweak, but that's the reality of filmmaking. Um, in the end, I'm just happy that fans like her. Yeah. And, and uh, I wanted to, again, keep her um, similar to 84, but give her a slight update. Um, um, but yeah, that was, she was tough to figure out. Amazing to work with. Uh, Olivia is absolutely incredible. Um, uh, but it was just a tough uh, thing to figure out. Yeah, that's a quick turnaround. And especially on yes. something like that, where you need to dial it in to look like a, a pre-existing character too. Right. Yeah, the pressure was there. And I remember being in Calgary where you're just in the middle of nowhere. I don't have the luxury of my shop where I can maybe change something overnight. Um, so that was tough. But I had a great team um, uh, there in Canada helping me on that. And uh, uh, I just needed to figure it out. It yeah. was as simple as that. Yeah. It's, I mean, to me again, it's, it's one of those where it's, that is Gozer. I can tell that that's Gozer, but yeah, maybe she's changed or evolved over the years or she's fine. She can choose any form she wants. So if that's she right, goes back right. to that form, maybe she's made a few upgrades. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we never, we never discussed if she would completely change and the temple sets were, were already done where she has that haircut. And, uh, um, I did give her red eyes actually, um, uh, surprised to see in post-production they turn them black for some reason uh it's starting to grow on me uh but i would like to have her uh kept yeah. the red eyes personally uh, how much of the bodysuit was costume and how much of it was application that you were having to do um actually her upper torso uh to her midsection was a, a zip-on silicone very thin silicone oh, uh, wow. piece and then her legs uh and her hands uh, her feet everything was prosthetics her neck going up um uh we actually had a forehead piece but we opted the morning of uh, not to use that. Um, and uh, so, as I said, it was a bit of a, a scramble uh, yeah. to, to, to find her. But uh, I think um, in the final film and the way she, and how she looks, um, my main thing was to make everybody happy and to make sure that the fans loved her. And, uh, you know. Yeah. It's cool. I mean, and she looks more, she looks more dangerous in this film. You know, I think the angular design mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. her body and actually, stuff like yeah, that. Really. Yeah. The, the spikes were actually something that uh, Olivia came up with. He's like, oh, mm. kind of nice if we have some little bit more spikes just so it would tie in with the terror dog. Uh, and I like that a lot. Uh, and it gives her a sense of danger as well. So I kind of did a combo of spikes with and, and then bulbous forms from the yeah. original. So uh, find that balance a little bit. That's cool. I think a lot of people don't realize, of course, we talk about the terror dogs and the minor ghost and all of the creatures that you have to build from the ground up, mm -hmm. but that it's so difficult with a, a character like Gozer, because like you said, it's prosthetics, it's costume, it's hair, mm -hmm. it's makeup, it's specialized yes. uh, contact lenses, it's yes. specialized hair, like everything is, you have to bring four departments together for this one character. Yes, yes. Uh, as I said, it was, uh, I had a great team, uh, but I also had a terror dog on the same day, so I had to run around, <laughs> you know, Man. Uh, but my main focus, of course, that day was, was Olivia. And, busy, uh, busy know, times. Yeah. yeah, it was hard. Um, so was there one thing, cause I know you were a big advocate to try to do everything practically. Mm -hmm. And of course on mm -hmm. this film, you've got Muncher, you've got the mini yeah. puffs. Was there something that you had put forth to Jason that you insisted, like we can do this in camera and mm -hmm. tried and it, and it didn't quite work or you didn't have time to, to do it. Uh, well, Jason of course has mentioned the mini puffs, uh, um, in his memory, it's probably a little different. I, we never physically built anything. Uh. Um, what I did was I emailed Jason. I said, you know, like 
can we just at least build one practical one that bites Guberson, the one that bites him? Yeah. Do that as a little puppet. And he loved it. It's just that we just simply ran out of time. Uh, they were already shooting yeah. the sequence, and it's so much work. Um, and my idea was to have, because I know Billy Bryan very well, who built the original Stay Puft and also performed in it. I said, you know, like it'd be great if Bill can just come over to my shop and build that for two weeks. Sure. And it'd be a circle for him, you know, to kind of finish on a, you know, not that he's retired, but... Um, I knew it means a lot to him and I he loves that character. Yeah. And, uh, I wanted him to do it and, um, build a little foam latex one, you know, that's fully animated. I think it would have been great. I, we could have yeah. totally done it. It's just time. And, uh, so that was one of the things, uh, we didn't build the chair arms that grab Egon in the beginning of the film, the, the uh, sleeves. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I puppeteered one of them, but unfortunately the cut is so fast that we don't see quite what they are. Uh, because what we shot was quite violent actually. Oh, um, interesting. Grabbing him and, and, uh, and basically that's it. That's the end of Egon. And, yeah. uh, I wish we see a little bit more of that perhaps in the director's cut. Um, and when it comes to Muncher, we actually did do some concepts. They were very different. Um, and, but I, I, Muncher started to grow on me. I think, uh, we didn't do Muncher. Um, yeah. uh, we did do some foam latex skins, uh, of Muncher just so visual effects that something like, well, if this was a foam latex creature, a puppet, what would the texture be? So that so they we, could get that did, reference. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Correct. We did give that to them. And, uh, I think a bug eye ghost, um, I wish we had done that. Uh, I think we could have easily done a cool puppet. Yeah. Um, but again, I, maybe that was decided later on, you know. It's so crazy. I mean, you you could have never predicted what the pandemic was going to do to the film and yeah. essentially giving you another year and a half in post-production on it. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, if, if only you would have known then, like, oh, well, maybe we can have some time and we can uh, put that in. And yeah. Yes, I wish they had asked us for that one, um, where I feel uh, as great as the visual effects are, um, I think that should have been a puppet just for a quick moment. I mean, it wouldn't have been that hard. Yeah. It would have still felt like those original two films uh, in that montage yes. sequence. But yeah. I mean, the, the, the counter argument to that too is, you know, modern audiences love to see that sort of fluid CG like creature. Uh -huh, so it kind of uh -huh. gives them a little bit and then you kind of go back and forth. Sure, and, sure. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah. 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 Um, well, yeah. so, so last question for you, Arian. thanks again for, yeah. for so much time here, no, but no, it's all good. the end result, um, cause, cause I mentioned to you after I saw it at the, the cast and crew screening that they did here mm -hmm. in LA, I was sitting next to Richard Edlin and John Bruno and glancing over them during the terror dog transformation sequence and all of these things that they did 35, 40 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and seeing it recreated and kind of updated and, and, and stylized in different ways and, um, how do you feel about seeing the end product up there on the screen? And, and have you heard from the creators of the original films as, as to what their thoughts were? Um, and you know, it's interesting because I went to the first time I saw it was at the New York premiere. Uh, I, Jason did show me early on some rough cuts, but that was early, early. I think it was in December, 2019, but seeing the finished film for the first time was actually at the premiere. And, um, I noticed for myself that I'm, I'm too close to it. Uh, it's still too fresh, uh, where everything, I should have done this. I, I should have changed maybe that or should have tweaked that. Um, uh, so it took me a few days. Uh, then I saw it again on my own, just with a regular audience. Um, that helped. 
because <laughs> I could see like the, the reactions. And, you're uh, absorbing the energy from. Yes, you're not looking at yes. it with a, a quality control eye anymore. You're That's getting right. the energy from the people that are seeing yes. it. Sure. And seeing so many reactions, I can say now, okay, this. I think. I think we did okay. I think we did what we needed to do. And uh, um, uh, as when it comes to uh, the original guys, uh, I have not heard from or spoken to them. Uh, I doubt they know who. To, I am. <laughs> uh, no. But Randy, Randy Cook did come out, and uh, we have actually yesterday we emailed again, and uh, uh, to have his blessing um, means a lot. Um, wow. I mean, uh, thinking back, going through all the years when I was a kid, through all the making off photos, I mean, I had the Kenner toys. Little did I know, you know, uh, what was going to come, and it was actually going to do the, the true third or fourth film. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Getting, getting to play in that sandbox uh, all those years yeah. later. Yeah. Um, yeah. well, thank you, Aryan. I could, I could bend your ear for another hour, but I, I want to have, <laughs> I want, want you to have your day off, please get some rest. Um, but, uh, yeah, maybe we can have you back on again for a follow-up to, to talk about some more stuff. Absolutely. Uh, any questions you have, and I'll be honored to come back. Awesome. Thanks, Aryan. You're welcome. Who you gonna call? We Thanks for joining the Ghostbusters Interdimensional CrossRip. Visit us at ProtonCharging.com, GhostbustersHQ.net, and StillPlayingWithToys.net. That used to be one of my two favorite shows. Everything you're doing is bad. I just want to let you know that. We'd like to get a sample of your brain tissue. Oh. Next week, though, Careless Pets. We're so